0: Welcome to Orphan Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me, as always, is the woman you'd never want to clash swords with. It's Lydia.
1: Zounds! <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we'll
1: come back oh, to that in okay. a minute. <laughs>
0: oh yes, zounds! That's a
1: zounds.
0: That's a great little callback there. <laughs> it's the era. <laughs> <laughs> we always need a good zounds.
1: <laughs> Indeed.
0: Well, before we go any further, I want to first thank everyone for tuning in to the show. We really do appreciate it. Orphan Entertainment is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have the option to do so, please rate and review the show. It really helps get the show out to more people. Another great way to get the show to more people is by you sharing the episode on whatever social media platform you use. For instance, you're a Facebook user. You can share our stuff there, and a place that you can share it from is our Facebook group, and this is also a fantastic place to know what, to get an idea what we're going to be covering next, and an easy place to leave any comments on the films or episodes. We do have a YouTube channel where you can watch many of the films we have covered here on the show. Just go to YouTube and search for Orphan Entertainment. And if you'd like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or Any episode, please type or record a message and send it to OrphanedEntertainment at gmail.com. Speaking of support, you can now buy us a coffee. Follow the (laughs) link to ko-fi.com and you can make a one-time or recurring donation to help support the show. You can find links to all of this on our webpage at OrphanedEntertainment.com. Speaking of email, we actually got an email to read on this episode. A Ooh. little bit of feedback. Yes. Kurt Fakuda has written us. I believe he's probably one of the few people who has done it repeatedly. Hi, <laughs> thank, Kurt. <laughs> thank you very much, Kurt. He says, hi, Lydia and Christopher. Thanks so much for the episode on Attack of the Giant Leeches. I saw the movie as a child at a kiddie matinee back in the 60s. In San Jose, the Esquire Theater on Santa Clara Street offered kitty matinees on Saturday afternoon in the 1960s. You got a double feature, usually monster movies, a cartoon and a short subject for, I think, 75 cents, maybe only 50. During the summer that a friend and I went to the kitty matinees, the Esquire Theater, formerly the Mayfair Theater, was showing second run American international films. I remember seeing movies like The Amazing Transparent Man, The Angry Red Planet, The Amazing Colossal Man, and Attack of the Giant Leeches. Although the scenes of the leeches feeding on their victims was pretty gross, I remember being pretty creeped out by the eerie organ music. (laughs) <laughs> I later discovered that Alexander Laszlo's music was originally composed for Roger Corman's Night of the Blood Beast and reused for Beast from Haunted Cave before being re- reused in Attack of the Giant Leeches. I did <laughs> wow. not know that. I did not I did look either. anything about the soundtrack. Interesting. It says, Rewatching the movie as an adult, I thought the film did a good job of evoking a torrid and icky southern gothic atmosphere. One would have to be blind not to see trouble coming when one discovers that the obese Bruno Vasota is married to the young Yvette Vickers. <laughs> it reminds me of the scene in Stanley Kubrick's The Killing when you discover that the mousy Elijah Cook Jr. is married to the smoldering Marie Windsor. Look out! <laughs> Speaking of Bruno Vasoto, what an interesting career he had. He performed in and co-directed the nightmarish 1955 movie Dementia, a.k.a. The Daughter of Horror, which was a haunting, which has a haunting music score featuring the legendary Marnie Nixon. He also directed the tepid The Brain Eaters and the goofy Invasion of the Star Creatures, and starred in countless low-budget films while also guest appearing on in many television shows with his with his expansive girth it was easy to spot Visotto in movies and TV. Oh, it's the big guy from Attack of the Giant Leeches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So thanks again for bringing back memories of trips to the Kitty Matinee. Best wishes and keep up the great work, Kurt. Awesome email. Thank you so much, Kurt. Yeah. That's fantastic. Absolutely. You know, I, I did not look up anything about um uh Vesoto. I had no idea that he also directed and directed the films like that me that's neither. very interesting
1: Yeah me neither I think I ended up focusing on you know of course the the quote main characters which <laughs> I mean, maybe weren't the most memorable characters either because they didn't have the large girth but <laughs> 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 but that's fantastic information thank you so much for sharing all that Kurt
0: Let's listen to one of the 5 minute mysteries and a promo for another podcast And when we return, it's all for one and one for all as we discuss 1929's The Iron Mask.
2: Another five-minute mystery. Evans, Homicide Bureau. Lieutenant, this is Dr. Norton at the city hospital. Oh, yes, doctor, what can I do for you? I'm afraid I have some business for you, lieutenant. I have a corpse down here that may be of interest to you. I'm only interested in a certain type, doctor, unless this is a case This so. is directly in your line, Lieutenant Evans. It's murder. Where's your late patient, doctor? In here, Lieutenant Evans. Any identification on the fellow? No, his pockets were empty. Well, there's your man. Now, what's left of him? Mm. Pretty well carved up, isn't he? Yes. Death was caused by a knife into the heart. All the other wounds were merely an anticlimax. Speaking medically, of course. Which one of your ambulance men picked him up? Oh, I'm sorry. I should have told you before this. But he was brought in here by a motorist who picked him up at the side of the road. Did you get the fellow's name and address? I did better than that, Lieutenant. I asked him to wait until you got here. Good. I'll see him right away. Where is he? In my office. Down this way. I have a hunch he'll prove interesting. A man who'll give a ride to a corpse. (laughs) Tell me, Mr. Scott, what time was it when you picked up the body? I should say it was about 11 o'clock in the evening, Lieutenant. I drove directly to the hospital after that. That was a pretty isolated road you picked to go riding on, Mr. Scott. It's an old habit of mine to avoid the holiday weekend traffic, Lieutenant. I always use the back roads. Was the body still bleeding when you found it? I suppose so, Doctor. He was dead, but I put him in the back seat and rushed here as quickly as I could. How long was that ride, Mr. Scott? Uh, about a half hour, Lieutenant. I estimated the death to have occurred about nine o'clock this evening. That was an hour before Mr. Scott discovered the body. Well, that's about all the information I'll need right now, Mr. Scott. You'll be asked to come to the coroner's inquest, of course. I don't mind that, Lieutenant, but my time is rather valuable. I hope to be compensated for it. I'm sorry, but I don't handle that angle for the city. Is there any sort of claim I filed to get the back seat in my car fixed? What happened to it? The covers are all blood-soaked. I told you I don't take care of that sort of stuff. I thought murderers were your business, Lieutenant. They are, but you don't mean... I do, Lieutenant. If you pardon the doctor's intrusion, I'll have to diagnose Mr. Scott as suffering from a malignant case of murder. What clue did Dr. Morton discover that led to his analysis of the crime? In just a moment, we'll know, but first... 5-Minute Mystery bureau. Lieutenant, this is Dr. Norton at the city hospital. Oh, yes, doctor, what can I do for you? I'm afraid I have some business for you, lieutenant. I have a corpse down here that may be of interest to you. I'm only interested in a certain type, doctor, unless this is a case... This so. is directly in your line, lieutenant Evans. It's murder. Where's your late patient, doctor? In here, lieutenant Evans. Any identification on the fellow? No, his pockets were empty. Well, there's your man. Now what's left of him? Mm well carved up, isn't he? Yes. Death was caused by a knife into the heart. All the other wounds were merely an anticlimax. Speaking medically, of course. Which one of your ambulance men picked him up? Oh, I'm sorry. I should have told you before this. But he was brought in here by a motorist who picked him up at the side of the road. Did you get the fellow's name and address? I did better than that, Lieutenant. I asked him to wait until you got here. Good. I'll see him right away. Where is he? In my office. Down this way. I have a hunch he'll prove interesting. A man who'll give a ride to a corpse. (laughs) Tell me, Mr. Scott, what time was it when you picked up the body? I should say it was about 11 o'clock in the evening, Lieutenant. I drove directly to the hospital after that. That was a pretty isolated road you picked to go riding on, Mr. Scott. It's an old habit of mine to avoid the holiday weekend traffic, Lieutenant. I always use the back roads. Was the body still bleeding when you found it? I suppose so, Doctor. He was dead, but I put him in the back seat and rushed here as quickly as I could. How long was that ride, Mr. Scott? Uh, About a half hour, Lieutenant. I estimated the death to have occurred about nine o'clock this evening. That was an hour before Mr. Scott discovered the body. Well, that's about all the information I'll need right now, Mr. Scott. You'll be asked to come to the coroner's inquest, of course. I don't mind that, Lieutenant, but my time is rather valuable. I hope to be compensated for it. I'm sorry, but I don't handle that angle for the city. Is there any sort of claim I filed to get the back seat in my car fixed? What happened to it? The covers are all blood-soaked. I told you I don't take care of that sort of stuff. I thought murderers were your business, Lieutenant. They are, but you don't mean... I do, Lieutenant. If you pardon the doctor's intrusion... I'll have to diagnose Mr. Scott as suffering from a malignant case of murder. What clue did Dr. Morton discover that led to his analysis of the crime? In just a moment, we'll know, but first...
1: Have you ever wondered how much of that movie you just saw actually happened? My name is Dan LeFebvre, and I'm the host of Based on a True Story, the podcast that compares Hollywood with history. On each episode, we'll tackle a different movie or TV show that claims to be based on a true story and separate fact from fiction. So when you're ready to learn how much actually happened, search for Based on a True Story in your favorite podcast app of choice or find it over
2: at basedonatruestorypodcast.com. And now back to our story. That's a bad guess, Dr. Norton. Only on your part, Scott, in thinking you could get away with it. You tipped your hand when you tried to get compensation for being courteous enough to take your victim to a hospital. I stated that he'd been dead for one and a half hours when you brought him here. You claimed to have found the body an hour after its death. Assuming that to be true, the back seat of your car never would have been soaked with blood. The only circumstances that could have made that possible were for you to have killed him in that back seat where he bled to death. Backseat drivers and back seat killers, they're all alike. They just talked themselves to death.
0: mask is a part talkie film directed by alan dwan it stars douglas fairbanks as d'artagnan and is fairbanks first talking picture the original film is mostly silent but included two short speeches by douglas fairbanks as well as a musical score and some sound effects in 1959 i think it was 59 but i thought i saw it elsewhere so it was 54 but i'm going with 59 for the moment uh, the film was reissued as an edited version with a narration provided by Douglas Fairbanks Jr.
1: Oh, that makes so much sense. I kept <laughs> listening to it thinking, this, he sounds just like his son. This is so wild. <laughs> <laughs> that makes so much sense then.
0: <laughs> yes. Douglas Fairbanks Sr. was an American actor uh, known best for swashbuckling portrayals of characters such as Zorro, D'Artagnan, and Robin Hood. Fairbanks was a founding member of United Artists and also a founding member of the Motion Picture Academy, and he was host of the very first Academy Awards in 1929. Despite his fame throughout the early days of cinema, his stardom quickly declined with the advent of the talkies, and his last film was 1934's The Private Life of Don Juan. His career began in amateur theater on stages in Denver, Colorado. He moved to New York and began working on Broadway in her Lord and Master in 1902. And in between acting jobs, he did what many actors in New York do he worked at a hardware store and as a clerk on, in a Wall Street office. He married the daughter of a wealthy industrialist, Anna Solly, and they had one son, Douglas Jr. The family moved to LA in 1915, where Fairbanks signed with Triangle Pictures and then Paramount. He met an actress, Mary Pickford, at a party whom he would later have an affair with. In 1917, the two joined Fairbanks' friend Charlie Chaplin in selling war bonds by train across the United States. And by 1918, Fairbanks was Hollywood's most popular actor. To avoid being controlled by the studios and to protect their independence, Fairbanks, Pickford, Chaplin, and D.W. Griffith, whom Fairbanks met while working at Triangle Pictures, formed United Artists in 1919 and that gave them complete artistic control over their films and the profits generated. In 1920, he had the inspiration of staging a new type of adventure costume picture, a genre that was then quite out of favor with the public, and produced The Mark of Zorro. It ended up being a huge success, and Fairbanks continued to produce and star in ever more elaborate costume films, such as The Three Musketeers in 21, Douglas Fairbanks in Robin Hood in 22, the Thief of Baghdad in, thir- in 24, The Black Pirate in 1926, and The Gaucho in 1927. Fairbanks spared no expense and effort in these films, which established the standard for all swashbuckling films to come.
1: I'm just sitting here grinning. <laughs> that list. It's like, ah, oh, of course, every one of those movies basically has been remade. I don't know about the gaucho, but basically every other movie either has been remade. Just verbatim or, you know, recreated as, um, uh, you know, the Black Swan or uh, Captain Blood or, you know, I mean, you've got, of course, obviously, we all know the later colorized Robin Hood that was made with um, uh, just linked on his name. Uh, the same guy that I just mentioned, all of his other movies.
0: <laughs> Errol, <laughs> Errol Flynn. Flynn. Thank you,
1: thank you. Uh, I did finally get there. <laughs>
0: but I, was, I, I blanked <laughs> on him too. I'm like, I, I know who she's talking about.
1: Yeah, that guy, that, the guy that everybody knows. But I love that. I love that even though we know all of those storylines and you use the word swashbuckling because of Errol Flynn. I love that Douglas Fairbanks did them all first and he did them all silently. (laughs) (laughs) Not not that that's like, you know, the key part of it, but it's just so interesting because we, we sometimes forget that those movies that we know really well are actually reiterations of movies that most people haven't heard of, or certainly most people alive today haven't heard of, but it's so much fun to go back and watch those and see, how little they changed from their initial iteration until, uh, up through their second one, up through their really well-known one. And then, of course, up through modern films where they're pretty much the same now. What's really funny, you mentioned 1954 was the narrated version and it says right on there, I've got it up so I can just scroll back to it real quick. It says Douglas Fairbanks Jr. I just failed to read the junior. (laughs) I just uh, automatically assumed because I had seen the non-narrated version and knew that Douglas Fairbanks had uh, two speaking parts in it, two short parts where he speaks in it, that I just assumed that they had gone back and Douglas Fairbanks had been the one to go back and do the narration for it.
0: Okay, my my correction. It was actually 1952 that the reissue uh, happened. I I was thinking it was 59 or 54. Wrong on both counts. 1952. <laughs> if you're looking for it, uh, it's 1952.
1: I didn't even see anything where it said what year it was narrated in. So
0: I, I had to go looking. It was it was kind of buried deep in the uh, the wiki for uh, the 29 Iron Mask.
1: <laughs> okay, <laughs> that makes sense. Okay, oh, hey, did you want to cover any of the other actors?
0: If you have any information on any of the other actors, um, they I did not really look them up. I figured Douglas Fairbanks was the one that, okay, that's the star. Then I did not really go and dive into any of the others. So if you've got some information on them, I'd love to hear it.
1: No, he he genuinely is the one that you're going to know in this movie. Um, I don't necessarily think he was the only well-known actor at the time in this movie. Um, obviously, this has a lot of characters in it. There are uh, several pretty ladies that were probably somewhat well-known at the during that time. Um, but but I didn't I didn't dig into that. But I did dig into the history of the actual story of the Iron Mask. Some.
0: Oh, good. Okay.
1: Yeah. So uh, so I actually was. The, uh, of course, we all know this is. You know, The Three Musketeers and The Iron Mask, uh, which actually is based on a book called 20 Years Later, I'm always going to say it wrong, uh, were written, of course, by Andre Dumas and my husband's favorite author of all time, which is kind of funny. But um, also, of course, he was writing in the 1800s in France, 200 years after this story takes place. So if you were thinking that all of these stories were written by somebody who was there, you're mistaken. (laughs) But interestingly, what I did find out is that some of the information that these stories were based on is actually true. And I had no idea. Of course, I know there was really a Louis XIV, the King of France. And of course, I know there were really cardinals. But beyond that, I didn't realize that actually there are several characters in here that are several events in here that are at least based on a grain of truth. One of which, of course, if you've seen the recent version, the recent iteration of this with Leonardo DiCaprio, Gabriel Byrne, all of those fellows, um, it starts off saying that the Man in the Iron Mask really existed and when they broke into the Bastille, they found an entry about a prisoner, the Man in the Iron Mask. Apparently, that actually is true. Mm -hmm. There really was an entry. Now, whether that was... There before they broke into the Bastille or somebody added it afterwards to add a little bit of spice, we don't really know. But it turns out there are contemporary accounts in written in the 1600s in a diary of one of the lieutenants that was responsible for maintaining the Bastille and the prisoners there, that there was actually a prisoner who was required to remain masked the entire time he was there. And beyond that, he was actually brought from um, the Ile de San Marguerite, maybe definitely by the person who was responsible for, who was the governor of that era. And it, <laughs> so it's just interesting there, that there's a lot of this, uh, some of this could have been actually true. The thing that really surprised me, because maybe if we've heard before, yeah, there really was a man in the iron mask and whether we, you know, whether that's really true or how, where it was created, um, the character of D'Artagnan was actually based on a real person.
0: Oh, that's I, interesting. I had no idea.
1: I didn't either. So he was based on a person named Charles de Bats de Castle, Castlemore d'Artagnan. I'm going to not pronounce it well either. Here, I thought my French classes in high school would serve me well, and I'm <laughs> failing. But that's okay. Uh, he was actually—he did actually live between 1611 and 1673. He was actually a French musketeer. He did actually serve Louis the Fourteenth, and he was captain of the musketeers of the guard. Wow. So, yeah. So D'Artagnan did not die at the end of. Uh, Oh, I should should have backed that sentence up. I don't want to give that story (laughs) away. Uh, uh, The real D'Artagnan does actually apparently have a gravestone somewhere, and he he did die in, I think I already mentioned, 1673. He was a real historical figure. He actually was really a musketeer, and all the rest of the musketeers, uh, Athos, Porthos, Aramis, are completely fictional, but it's interesting that the, the third musketeer who's not actually one of the three musketeers. <laughs> the fourth musketeer. The fourth musketeer, The yeah. fourth musketeer of the famed three musketeers <laughs> was actually based on a real person. Uh, so, and, and I got to, we're not... Um, i i ran into this for some of this information i have to give a little shout out there's a podcast called based on a true story uh the guy that does that i'd never listened to it before ran across it while i was doing a little bit of looking into this uh if you guys have a chance to go check him out he has a lot of information and he uh keeps track of where he gets his details from so i have to give him a little shout out because uh I was just baffled to hear the amount of information that was probably accurate that, or that inspired at least the story. So it was pretty, it's pretty cool. I think it's interest. It makes it a little more interesting to me to go, Oh, okay. So yeah, of course there was really a Louis King of France. And of course we know that there was some civil unrest going on at the time, but there are other details that are involved in here that it's not just purely fictionalized. This isn't an alternate universe telling of the story. It's a, conjecture about what could have been going on at the time. So it's right.
0: pretty interesting. Yeah, very. That's very cool. Thank you very much for that little history lesson. And uh...
1: The other thing I didn't mention, sorry, of course, these were all written in French. Uh, and the thing that I just got super thrilled about today while I was, you know, thumbing through one of the translations, because no, guys, I don't actually read 1800s French, it is as I'm reading through, the guys, they keep saying zounds. I was so excited. <laughs> so there's a translation, 1998 translation of 20 Years Later, and uh, it says Zounds something like 25 times in the book. So if you guys want to get some more zounds out, you didn't get enough in The Scarlet Pimpernel, go look up that translation by
0: David Witcher. <laughs> nice. The Three Musketeers has always been kind of one of my favorite subjects of films. And anything with the swashbuckling swordplay kind of thing. And the three musketeers are always really great for that. So I, I, I eat that stuff up. So I'm always happy when I stumble across a new version of the, a musketeer uh, story. I'm sure there are still plenty that I have not seen. But when I do stumble across them, I, I just really enjoy them. And this one is no no exception.
1: It's the original buddy movie.
0: Yeah, honestly. <laughs> honestly, you're right. The Musketeers are the original buddy story. Buddy
1: story, yeah. They're they are three guys out for a romp and they get into all kinds of crazy adventures and they prevail. <laughs> and it's super entertaining.
0: And and how many stories and characters do we know throughout the film history that are the well, I'll do anything for my friends and I will die for them. And you know, that whole thing. And despite, no matter how much distance or time has passed when, the, when they're called, they come. Mm-hmm.
1: Iconically there aren't that many iconic, you know, trios or duos even where you, you immediately go, Oh yeah, that's any, you, anybody you say the three musketeers and they know exactly who you're talking about and they know the candy bar. I wasn't going to get away without saying that the whole podcast, (laughs) but, but it is, it's such a well-known story and they're so inspiring to people. You know, I think it, it, they, they talk, they speak to what human, humanity wants, human, humanity, human persons want. And we're, we're always looking for somebody to make a connection with, and we all want those best friends where it's just like anytime, anywhere, whatever I need, I can always call that person. And the, these these guys, I, I can't think of any, certainly must be stories that are this kind of iconically, for again, lack of a better term, buddy stories. <laughs> I But I can't think of any I'm going I'm racking my brain through history trying I mean you know you have things like Jason and the Argonauts but that's not like three guys it's like you know a whole ship full of you know you've got the 40 thieves you've got you know big groups of people doing things but you kind of don't get to that almost star level notoriety I I, I can't I'm if you guys can think of of an example I'm missing because I'm positive there must be some out there i'd love to hear what you guys think of when you go oh yeah there's this group of three guys or two guys or four guys and everybody knows them
0: being a sci-fi fan my initial and my first thought always goes to kirk spock and mccoy
1: (laughs) i mean but there's so much later than this i'm trying to think anything before this and and i want to know if you guys think of somebody where you're just like oh yeah back (laughs) i can't think of anything (laughs) i yeah uh, it David and Jonathan out of, you know, biblical history, but even that, you know, you don't hear, oh yeah, man. And then they went off and did this cool adventure together. It was kind right. of more like, yeah, they were buddies. And then we move on to the story. So I'd love to, I'd love to know what other kind of stories touch on this. If there are any, maybe there aren't.
0: Maybe, maybe this not. is
1: kind of the first one.
0: You, you, you mentioned that people know those stories so well. I'm guessing for the most part people don't know the original actual stories as well as they know the film versions based on them and most of those film versions are often probably nowhere close to the original yeah. <laughs> novels.
1: True. Well, and you know, you take it Other than account. the fact
0: that it is The Three Musketeers and they are the, you know, the the three or four friends that can't be defeated and are mm-hmm. always at each other's sides, uh, no matter what, willing to go against all, any all, any and all odds, mm-hmm. you know, because they have right on their side.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the as you were talking, I was thinking the uh, original Grimm fairy tales, they would have, you know, the the guy that went out an adventure and then he as along along the way he meets a really strong guy and he meets a guy that can reach really tall you know and then he gathers his band as he goes and then eventually you know they defeat whatever and he wins the heart of the princess but this is more uh you you don't see them coming together you just jump Mm -hmm. full on into their at least you know in the stories that we see i suppose we should all learn french so that we can go back and read the originals
0: yeah well if if there was ever a uh, a reason to learn French, I think that might be it. <laughs>
1: it's a pretty good reason <laughs> there's yeah. some there's some phenomenal stories that came from Dumas. I mean, it, I forget that the same guy that's responsible for the man in the iron mask is also responsible for the Count of Monte Cristo, which is mm-hmm. another one of just another the, yeah. oh, phenomenal story great story six hundred pages <laughs> of heavy language, but the, you know the story, the storylines behind him and you always, you're always rooting for his characters in the end.
0: Now talking about this this film, some, I originally went in thinking and uh, watching the uh fifty two film with the narration, thinking that that was the film we'd be most talking about. And then doing a little bit of research, I realized that technically that's not public domain although it appears to be sort of abandoned because it's very easily accessible on multiple youtube channels Mm -hmm. as well as other places uh fortunately the 1929 version is still uh is the public domain and is plentiful and some great copies out there of it
1: and i'm gonna just jump right in there and say by far my preferred version
0: mine too and The 1952, I really enjoyed. I thought the one, the narration was a lot of fun. I thought, wow, you know, that's really cool. But okay, I I should really watch the original. (laughs) I actually really prefer it as well. I was telling my wife after I finished it, I was like, the narration one is really cool. It's a lot shorter, you know, like 40 minutes had been cut out of it.
1: 20 or 30. Yeah. Yeah. 30. I think 30 minutes exactly.
0: But I said, I think I really enjoyed this one better. And this is one where I don't know if I'd go back and rewatch the narration a lot. I might go back and watch it sometime, but this one is kind of like, this is one I'm going to just, even if I'm not going to watch it, I'm going to throw it and and have it on while I'm doing something else, Mm -hmm. which honestly is what I kind of started to do when I began watching it. And I figured I'll go ahead and watch this and whatever it, it kept pulling me away from everything I was trying to do.
1: <laughs> oh, I was I was captivated. It's yes, it's interesting. You would not think that a silent movie would have in today's age would have the ability to captivate your attention. But I I had the opposite experience. You so kindly reached out and said, Hey, you know, there are these two versions. And I decided to watch the long slog first thinking, okay, it's an hour and 40, almost 43 minutes, and it's silent. This is going to be hard to pay attention mm-hmm. to. But within the first few minutes, I was completely absorbed. You're engrossed, um, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it starts off with that that little intro from Douglas Fairbanks standing there with, you know, Athos, Porthos, and Aramis. Out of
3: the shadows of the past, as from a faded tapestry of time's procession slow and vast, I step to bid you bear with me, the while your fancy I engage, to look upon another age. An age when on the human tide the plumed wave of chivalry rose to its summit, sweeping wide across a nation's mighty sea. France never shone a brighter power and in this high romantic hour. So come with me to France of old, to fiery days when hearts beat high, when blood was young and hate was bold, and sword crossed sword to do or die. For love and honor gloried then, and friendship reached its peak with men. Friends were friends in those brave days. Athos, Porthos, Aramis, I, graved our hearts with a mystic phrase, bound our lives with a mystic tie, Come, stir your soul with our ringing call of all for one and one for all. Come on. Come on.
1: Come on. on. There's a 30 seconds or a minute, and then it goes into the silent storyline. And from the very beginning, you it's funny. There's it there you know it this is a silent film everybody's wearing heavy makeup so that you can see their facial expressions and their facial expressions are very expressive so that you can see them in this quality of film but at no point watching this did i feel like anybody uh, almost no point during this did i feel like anybody was overacting or or seemed like a caricature or seemed mm, silly mm-hmm. Every character in it, like, you knew their place in the story immediately. And um, and, and it – there's – this movie is – it's crazy. I literally found myself laughing out loud within the first ten minutes, I think. Uh, I'm, like, scrolling along real quick to say, where is it? Uh, There's a a bit where Porthos wants to go into a pub and everybody else, (laughs) I suppose, wants to go somewhere else. And there's a a little – a deal with a, uh, a horse,
0: horse dragging wagon? a
1: wagon with a bunch of barrels on it and the horse, they hold on to the wagon and Porthos is so strong that the horse literally walks right out from under the trappings <laughs> and the tracings <laughs> and they they haul the whole thing into a pub with him and I laughed out loud. Uh, not, and then, you know, you've got this this story, of course, with D'Artagnan and, and Constance and their little romantic, run around that was
0: probably one of my first actual like audible chuckles was <laughs> you know candace is in charge of of making the bedclothes and and whatever for the Constance, new uh-huh the 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 future prince uh yes. everyone france is waiting for the the birth of this uh of hopefully an heir to the the throne of france and she's in charge of making the bedclothes and the, the linens for for this uh for this child and the uh the coach the royal coach has come to 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 collect her because the birth is imminent, and her uh, D'Artagnan or D'Artagnan is trying very diff- hard to like get her attention just for a moment so they can go and steal a kiss. And they're going all around the square trying to find some place private for this kiss, and it's really cute. It's adorable the two mm-hmm. of them. Every time they find some place, they look and there's someone you know, <laughs> above <watching>. them, <laughs> someone watching. Uh, but she finally. They get their kiss and she goes back and she gets in the coach and everything. And then and she holds up the little uh, bedclothes, a little shirt or something for the for the baby. And you see D'Artagnan do that point of like, for you, yours, you know? And,
1: and she, <laughs> and oh, no. She <laughs> smacks him. <laughs> she smacks him. It's such a cute joke.
0: It's like, it feels like such a modern joke. But mm-hmm. here we are in 1929.
1: Yeah, uh, they're and you, and
0: What's great is you know exactly what he was saying. By by (laughs) the way he motions when she does it and her expression, you know exactly what was said.
1: Yeah, and that's, I think that's what about this is, yes, there are title cards and it is, you know, there are dialogue cards that happen and there are little explanations, but you almost don't need those. Just, you can tell everything that's going on from the acting and from the direction. Excellent direction. There's not, I couldn't, I didn't notice any parts in this movie that I felt... Were d- weren't pertinent.
0: You mentioned the uh, the title cards, they're not as prevalent as I've seen in other where it's just like scene, uh, script card, scene, script card, scene, script card, and it, it, it gets a little old really quick.
1: Yes, there's you'll a go, lot of
0: action, you'll go minutes. I mean, you'll scene after scene after scene before you actually get to another title card, which pretty much just Oh, and now we're here, and so and so is going to, to speak to so and so. And then you'll go through scenes and scenes without another one. Yeah, And at no lots point do you go, What's going on? I don't understand. Right, it's exactly. Amazingly well done, especially when these comedic moments. I mean, think about most of the silent films we've seen where comedy is a factor. It's more of the slapstick, it's really yes. overblown. Uh, we watched Safety Last. I mean, you, you can't get much over the top than that. <laughs> this, the comedy is much more subtle, and it's still conveyed, and you still get it, and it's still funny.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it feels like they're just playing around. It doesn't feel like it was highly choreographed. I mean, obviously, there's some set for some of the things that happen, but it, it, even like... The part that you're talking about where they're trying to find a place to kiss. There's a moment where Douglas Fairbanks, our D'Artagnan, hops up on a short wall and reaches for Constance. And he grabs her arm and you think he's going to pull her up on the the wall with him. And he swings her straight over the wall and into the grass on the other side. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the movement of the characters in this are... They're just captivating. They don't do anything that you expect them to do. Like, 100% of the time, you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming.
0: Right. I love uh, after they finally get their kiss and, he, you know, they're go- they're back to the wall and she wants help over the wall. And so he keeps pretending to, like...
1: <laughs> Collapse.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Let me put my hand down. She puts her foot and, oh, he slips. And then you know, <laughs> Yeah, he gets on all fours. So, I use my back as a step, and then he yeah he collapses She's onto the ground as she himself. steps on him. I love
1: I love too the first time. You it's know, so playful. Yeah, she like she like shoves him, and then he collapses under her foot, and she kicks him. <laughs> 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 it's so funny. I laughed out loud when she kicked him because I was like, yeah, that's probably what I'd do too if he's messing around with me, and I've got to go to the palace.
0: And you're also, you know, oh, we should mention the kiss, we, which we don't actually see, uh, you know, a woman above is so nice. you know, they're trying to find this private kiss. There's no place to go. And so this woman has this giant wick, this giant wicker basket that she drops on their drops head on <laughs> so they can finally have this private kiss. So you don't see this kiss, but, but what you see is their, you know, their, their, uh, torso and their legs below them and everything. And you see their bodies kind of come close together and you're thinking that's a sexy kiss <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah yeah well gosh i mean we're at this point we're what five minutes into the movie 10 minutes into the movie right. this is an hour and 42 minutes we haven't even gotten to the point where the the queen has her baby and the king in you know full of joy and pride that he now has a son carries it out onto the balcony everybody goes out to celebrate and constance who's finally made it to the palace finally <laughs> see here's the queen calling for help and goes and gets the midwife and a second son is born and so suddenly you know this might be a story that you guys are all familiar with but maybe you're not familiar with it and this is a, a this is part of the story that none of the other movies cover um i've uh, ran across a 1977 version with richard chamberlain that we're going to have to talk about after this, because I absolutely have some things to say, even though it's not out of copyright, but it also starts where the nineteen the 1998 one does where Louis and Philippe are already grown. Mm-hmm. And so this movie is unique because it starts from the birth of the, the princes and explains how they get separated. And right. the Cardinal understanding that, uh, a second son has the potential to tear apart the kingdom and cause re- rebellion. And, you know, there there could be power struggles, people that take advantage of the fact that there are two children to try and create a power struggle. And so for the good, and you don't understand it at first, but for the good of France, he decides to hide the second child away. And the the whole, it, it, you know, resulting in Constance being kidnapped and taken away to an abbey and subsequently stabbed, which I didn't see that coming. (laughs) (laughs) Holy cow, you know, 1929. And here's a woman getting stabbed. Ah, you know, in this movie. Um, And and then, and it seems that at that point, this, the knowledge of the child is lost to everybody, but the Cardinal and his, his yicky subservient guy that, He's booted out.
0: <laughs> yeah, Count de Rochefort, which is the uh, was Richelieu's lackey who uh, gets uh, ideas of his own.
1: Yes, and interestingly, in this version, so Richelieu, who is responsible for, I- indirectly responsible for Constance's death, uh, is at the point of having revenge visited on him by D'Artagnan. And he says, wait, I've got your friends. If you want them to live, you have to let me live. And of course, D'Artagnan being one of the four musketeers says, of course, you have to save my friends, and Richelieu, who in this is not actually the bad guy. I gotta, mm. I have to re, I have to reiterate that it's so different from the other version. That yeah, we're thank you,
0: because I was gonna say all the more modern Three Musketeers. I was saying Richelieu is the bad guy. The Musketeers end up having to go against Richelieu. Yeah. in every film I can think of,
1: and I think that they compress it for the sake of modern filmmaking. Yes. But in this version of the story, Richelieu, it, he, 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 the bad thing that he does is he says, because you tried to take revenge against me, now all four, the other three musketeers, you're all banished to your own plate, your own... Uh, provinces. Home, thank you, provinces. And you're never to see each other again on pain of death And D'Artagnan. You have to come back and serve the king. And so that ends this this play and the next thing you know it's 20 years later 20 years have
3: passed and more since Richelieu bent his iron will to break the bonds that held us poor but porthos athos aramis i will ride once more once more we'll heed the clarion
1: call of all for one and one for all There are some differences between the narrated version and the the fully silent version that I think are important enough to watch the long version, aside from the fact that you're so much more drawn into the story without the narration. And you're so much more involved in the actions of the people. And I, I just think it's so, in, so incredibly much more enjoyable. As, aside, I mean, t- to say nothing of the fact that when uh, when Constance is stabbed, I'm I'm sitting there crying. I'm actually crying, like actually watching the silent film, crying.
0: Fairbanks does an amazing it. job conveying the sorrow. I mean, his world has just been destroyed with the death yeah. of Constance. Uh, when he he picks her up and slowly walks with her, and you just you could see the pain in every step.
1: And even his facial expressions when he's kneeling over her as she's dying, saying, saying her last words, the other one, you know, they, both of them, I think you're, it's, you're the moment, in the moment, I found myself so intensely focused on their lips, trying to read their lips and see what they were saying to each other. I forgot absolutely everything else happening around me, it, and it, it. It sounds like I'm exaggerating and being like, oh, but, I, it, but it's just absorbing. Yes. You're so convinced these people are meant to be together that it's just devastating when she's killed.
0: You know, it's the strangest thing you just mentioned that you're trying to read their lips. This is a, a moment where I'm watching the film. It's a silent movie. There's not title cards coming up all the time. There's not subtitles but despite the fact that you can't hear a word they say you finish the movie feeling like you heard every word
1: absolutely absolutely and and it's i think part of it is that these are people these characters are true to humanity you know what you would be saying in that moment they and they don't try to they don't try and get flowery with it you know they're just saying look this is this is how people feel in these situations. And, and, it's, I, and I don't know if it's just a happy accident that, they, that the director just happened to convey that well or that the actors were that good at it or, it. or just that we are as humans are so easily able to understand what happens in that kind of situation and how we would feel. But it, there's a bit of magic to it exactly like you said, you don't have to be able to hear them speaking the words to know exactly what they would be saying in any of these moments. And at the moment where the after this, the three different, the musketeers, Athos, Porthos, and Aramis have to go in different directions and they all stop and turn their horses kind of at the same distance and wave. And and it's heartbreaking and you know exactly what they're all saying to each other. Oh, I'm going to cry again. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh, I think maybe I cried at that part too in the movie, but... <laughs> it so we gotta keep going. <laughs> this is such a long movie, but there's so much of it to talk about. It's ironic because we've had other movies where there's very little dialogue. You know, some of the kung fu movies we've seen come to mind. There's very little dialogue and we're like, gosh, how are we gonna talk about this movie at all? And this is the opposite. There's no dialogue and we're like how are we going to get through this movie there's so much of <laughs> there's it. so much to
0: talk about
1: <laughs> so we have louis who's now the king of of almost the king of england that would have been wrong king of france and we have philippe who is in this instance the younger brother and remarkably evil oh and yes i got to say William Bakewell is the uh, the young man they that they cast as Louis, and well, I think they don't even call him Philippe in this movie. I, I'm sorry, I, I pulled that. No, from I, other I don't think they
0: do. I don't think he ever gets a name.
1: No, so, he's just the
0: other one or the twin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: He's let's see. He, in his role is twin brother. Yeah, so he doesn't even have a name in this. He's the twin brother, but he it in pantomime. They go out of their way to make bad guys look bad, you know, in the old fashioned stage production things, you know, the guy with the twirly mustache, you know, tying the girl down to the railroad tracks. And in, and they use that same effect in this to denote Louis and the twin brother. But it is effective. Mm-hmm. He is when he is Louis. You you're like, "Man, this guy would have been a great musketeer." And when he's the twin brother, you're like, "Oh, he's so evil. I hate oh, he him."
0: <laughs> practically whips a man for accidentally spilling a little bit of wine onto a an, I mean, an inconsequential I, piece of paper.
1: I did that once. But <laughs> 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 once. <laughs> but no, it but I lo- but what really impressed me about him is how uh, he is so clearly the two different characters and you don't I didn't get lost in my normal mental thing of oh it's that same guy but he's acting like a different character you can't get away from that when you're looking at Leonardo DiCaprio or when you're looking at Richard Chamberlain you can't get away from Oh, it's that well-known actor pretending to be the other sibling now. But in this case, maybe partly because we don't know William Bakewell. But it was so easy to forget that it wasn't the same guy. And he's so effective in both characters. So I, I as much as I love Douglas Fairbanks Jr. and I really lo- enjoy Douglas Fairbanks, to me the star of this was really William Bakewell. I was so impressed with him being the way his whole carriage and demeanor would shift. Mm -hmm. I just, it's just, it was fantastic
0: to watch. Oh, I love that moment when after he has usurped the throne, they've, they've made the switch and he sees his mother for the first time. Oh, (laughs) oh, the, the venom. Yes. In his look at her. Yeah. He the the, Utter hatred that he has for this woman is—it's astounding. I mean, you get chills looking at his face in mm-hmm. this. He's—he's he's just pure evil,
1: and—and and I, I love that early on in the movie when the boys are five or some something, five or six years old. And um, it shows, you know, here's Louie at court with his father learning to be courtly and, you know, learning how to bow correctly. And then here's the twin brother and he's being offered a drink by the servants at this little cottage or, you know, this little estate where he lives. And the kid just... Throws the drink on the ground, it stomps away, and it's like from an early age, you know, obviously you've got the good brother and the bad brother, but they set that up early on. I love though that they don't just rely on that backstory that you continue to see, uh, you, you, that he continues to portray that, and every time he reacts to anybody. He even I love it's a part I keep saying I love I'm sorry I, <laughs> 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 but it's the part where they actually change him out and he goes into the bed and they and the servant closes the bedclothes around him closes the curtains around the bed and he you know kind of curls up in the bed but he's looking around like he's freaked out like oh is somebody watching me is somebody come and get me and you're you're just like oh this is this is not the man we want on the throne <laughs>
0: he's, mm-hmm.
1: oh, he's just exceptionally good I think. He's just going to be my favorite part of this movie. He just is. Well,
0: and it's fantastic that they make that that difference. They, he does such a great job being the two different men mm-hmm. that when it comes time, you know, when everything is kind of discovered, D'Artagnan has no problem recognizing the true king for who he is. They set up the whole idea with the, the, the coin broken in half and you, you put them together and that's how you're going to know that, uh, are uh, that he's really the, truly the, the real king, the real king, the real, king sure. the real Louis. And that gets kind of thrown to the side. It's not necessary. D'Artagnan yes. knows yeah. immediately that, no, you're my true king.
1: And appreciatively, We know, too. I I really appreciated that when they would switch back and forth between the two brothers, because obviously they couldn't have them in the same frame at the same time. We aren't to that level of technology yet. 1929. But you, no matter which one you were looking at, you knew which one it was.
0: Yes. And, you know, you say that. Yes, they had to do it. There's no split screen or anything like that. It was just one scene and then the camera turns and it's the other person or whatever. but it's still done really effectively that it you is do, you almost don't notice what they're doing and exactly you, you kind of if you as long as you don't think about it at all it's like (laughs) oh there's two people there
1: (laughs) yeah you you never question especially at the point that you've got them both in the catacombs under the palace and you know they're they're having that face-off moment where they confront each other for the first time you know granted in in the you know Position where Louis has no recourse but to go along with it. You still, the reactions to each other. And oh, you mentioned the look on the twin's face when he sees his mother, the look on his face when he looks at Louis, and it's Mm -hmm. just utter hatred. That was the moment for me where I forgot it was the same person because, you know, it's unthinkable that you would look at yourself and just hate with that much hatred, like pure venom. But because it, it makes you completely forget that they're being played by the same character. I, I'm almost sad we're talking about this because I don't want to spoil it for people. I don't want them to be watching it going, "Oh yeah, I see what they were talking about there." I want you to be absorbed in the movie because <laughs> it's you that experience good. it, experience yes, it yourself. without thinking yeah. about uh, how we talked about it. You know, of course, then the twin has an iron mask put on his head. He's taken away. You know, and that and that's it. That's the end of the movie. No, it's not the end of the movie. <laughs> and D'Artagnan is beset by hoodlums and uh, apparently killed. And the, the, it's worth mentioning, that part is completely chopped out in the short version, where we think for a moment, oh, D'Artagnan's been killed. They just... Just wipe it out completely and say, Oh no, just kidding. They don't even say, Just kidding, he wasn't killed. They just say, Dart- And D'Artagnan was never killed. <laughs> they don't even say, It looked like it, but he wasn't. I, Instead, they just I, say, I, I think he you never
0: blinked. Was. I think you blinked or something. No, that, that scene was in the narrated. I remember seeing it.
1: But I went back and watched. And so they reorder some things in the narrated. Yes, yeah, so they
0: do. Yes.
1: And when, when they do jump on d'artagnan it does go back later and show how he wasn't actually killed how he got mm. out of it but in the silent version it shows first the hoodlums version of it oh yeah we killed him and this is what happened he shot the guy that, um, The the he shot the guy, the guy fell in the water, and then we stabbed him and chucked him in the water. And for a minute, for a couple of minutes there, you don't know that's not what actually happened. I mean, of course, you're assuming that's not what happened because it's D'Artagnan, but it does not show that version in the narrated part. It hmm. just skips the, it skips the bad guy's telling of this is how we killed D'Artagnan. And it just goes to this is how D'Artagnan got away from being killed. Uh, Because I backed it up to watch because I was like, wait, did they miss like the whole point of showing this? And they did. They just skipped it. There are only a couple of short scenes that they cut, but like one of one of the scenes that they cut was taking Constance actually into the Abbey. They skip the part where Lady de Winter is where Milady de Winter, sorry, is uh, smacks her another shocking moment for me in a 1929 movie where a woman wallops another woman that's in her power. And I was like, Oh, this is cruel. This is genuine cruelty. And they leave it out in the 1952 version, which of course, 1952, you can't show that mm-hmm. you can't show that anymore. So, uh, there are a couple of things where, Oh, anyway, uh, so some interesting switch arounds that, um, that make a lot more sense when you're watching the longer version. And then, and then it's kind of funny at that point. Once the once Louis is taken off, you know, with the iron mask and sent to um, the chateau of
0: the river, something. Yeah, there? it was the river castle. The right, river castle.
1: At yeah. um, that point, which would have been the Bastille, but would, it, I guess that they really needed a river castle instead. So it was there instead. Then it, everything kind of goes into high speed, but you don't feel like it's been dragging.
0: No, at that, no, at that point, not ever.
1: Yeah, at that point, we're at the point that you know we find out. Okay, good, D'Artagnan's not actually dead. We've only got another twenty-eight minutes in the movie, it, which is crazy because so much happens after that. It feels like it's a lot longer than. That.
0: Yeah, honestly, it's, that, that surprises me that you you uh you looked at the count. I wasn't. I assumed that was like, oh, that's midway, right?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you kind of think that's about halfway, but it's not. It's about two thirds of the way through.
0: It is so much fun. I, I would say if someone has never watched a silent film and they're looking for suggestions, this would absolutely be one. I mean, I, without uh, any hesitation, I would recommend this to, to anybody. This would to, be
1: the movie I would recommend. If you've yes. never seen a silent film, watch this one. It, even other silent films we've covered that we've enjoyed, they, they don't hold a candle to this. This is so far beyond those, at least in my opinion.
0: I'm really impressed with this film. I just, I'm not sure any other way to describe it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, genuinely, I'm I'm right there with you. This is just, so having, having watched two versions of this movie clear, my clear favorite is obviously, if you guys don't know by now, go back and listen to the first half of this over again but beyond that there are it I, i'm sure there are a half dozen iterations of this but the the ones that we of course know are the leonardo dicaprio one and the 1977 richard chamberlain one not out of copyright as far as i'm aware made for tv but you can find it online and i very highly recommend it um it's it's a different story to this one. This one focuses very, very heavily on the Musketeers and on D'Artagnan, the Richard Chamberlain one. And also so does the modern iteration, the 1998 version of it does as well. The 1977 version actually focuses very, very heavily on the twin brother and um, seems to follow some, historical details that I wanted to talk about, but wouldn't make any sense in the context of the 1929 movie. So I, I'm going to actually, I have to rank the 1977 version as my favorite one. Not a huge shock knowing that the slipper and the rose is one of my favorite movies of all time, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, but, but it's almost like apples and oranges. This movie is so brilliant for its own, for its own merits. And, you know, if, if you're going to watch a silent film, any, if you've never watched a silent film, this is the silent film that you should watch. Even if you go, I hate black and white movies. I hate silent films. Sit yourself down. Take the time. Watch this movie. Um, I'm giving it one and a half othels. That's a total joke, obviously. <laughs> what,
0: one and a half ophuls on top of the five. I <laughs> know this <laughs> that, one goes that, to that eleven. Give it, yes.
1: <laughs> no. The, yes. The
0: first, <laughs> <laughs> the first six and a half ophul movie.
1: The first six and a half ophul movie. It's just there. It's 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 funny. It's hard because it seems like I I don't even have to justify it. No. Just giving this movie five Othals You don't even have to justify it. If you if you don't believe it, just sit down and watch it. Obviously, you haven't watched it yet if you don't. <laughs> and and it's, I, I yeah I I have nothing else to say about it. I kind of want to talk about the other versions a little bit because <laughs> in comparison to this movie, the two, the nineteen ninety eight one pales so badly, like just
0: completely falls apart. And which I remember the film being fun, but it's fine. Yeah.
1: I would pronounce it fine, not fun. (laughs) But, (laughs) you know, I love Gabriel Byrne. I I say love too much. Sorry. I really enjoy Gabriel Byrne. Um, It has a couple of other minor actors in it that you really enjoy. It, It throws a whole romance part that I think actually comes from... I think there's there's the book, The Three Musketeers. Of course, there's the romances of D'Artagnan, which is a whole series that kind of make up The Three Musketeers. And then there is 20 years later. And then there's 10 years after, I believe, is the sequel to that. And I think that deals with um, maybe D'Artagnan's son or one of the Musketeers' children, Raoul, whom they bring into the 1998 version and then promptly slaughter. Mm. And... <laughs> <laughs> you didn't remember that part, did you? Nope,
0: nope, didn't but remember that. But
1: they bring in this whole romance with him that really doesn't add anything to the story. You don't need it there. Um, and so I th- I felt like the 1977 version was... It, it didn't add... It, I'm one of those people that's not a huge fan of adding a bunch of useless details, Thanks very much of The Hobbit, that weren't in the books. So, <laughs> so the... taking that into account i feel like the modern one adds just a whole bunch of garbage in there that isn't very interesting uh the 1977 one explores i think the interesting character in the story which is the guy that's possibly you know been stuck in the iron mask and he doesn't know why and this one is just the best buddy romp you've ever seen so for different reasons all interesting to watch
0: just looking real quick i I'm actually a little, maybe I shouldn't be, but I'm actually really surprised how many times the Musketeers have been put to film.
1: Yeah, <laughs> what's the count? I'm very interested to know.
0: I, I don't have like a count, count, but I'm I'm looking. Let's see, there was a 1903 French production. Oh, wow. Um, a 1913 French silent film. Uh, another one in 14, 16, 21. <laughs> the one we we just uh, discussing here. Uh, there's several through the 30 a lot of them french films which makes yes, sense yes of course again 39 uh 42 there's a 42 a mexican movie
1: oh <laughs> that's a surprise i probably shouldn't be but it i didn't argentinian
0: that. uh it's all around the world <laughs> mm-hmm. uh and then you go into the 50s the 60s has a couple there's a 1973 with a michael york that's one i kept i was trying to remember michael york's name The Three Musketeers and the Four Musketeers with uh, Michael York and Charlton Heston, Raquel Welch, Oliver Reed. I mean, quite the cast, yeah. Uh, There's a Russian (laughs) film, Return of the Musketeers, which includes Michael York and Oliver Reed again. Uh, 1993, there's a Disney production with Charlie Sheen and Kiefer Sutherland. 2001 is The Musketeer, which is a loose adaptation. In a style imitating Asian action movies. I don't know that one. Interesting.
1: (laughs) Interesting.
0: Yeah, just crazy amount. And let's see, there was another. uh, Don't forget the
1: the Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. The Three Musketeers.
0: (laughs) 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 There's apparently one called The Fourth Musketeer coming out sometime this year, which is a British adventure film.
1: And there's one called The Fifth Musketeer, 1979. No idea what that one's about.
0: No, and then of course animated versions, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Again, from all around the world. Uh, even even in two thousand nine, we have Barbie and the Three Musketeers. Oh
1: dear lord! <laughs> <laughs> well, we girls can do anything.
0: <laughs> That's right.
1: Wow. Well, so I think we're agreed. This one gets five out of five oaths for both of us.
0: Absolutely yes.
1: <laughs> if you haven't watched it yet, gosh. How did you get this far into listening to me gush about it without having seen it? Go watch it now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, this is an episode where I knew we wouldn't be able to do much in the way of clips. Obviously, I'll throw in the two speeches <laughs> from Mr. Fairbanks.
1: <laughs> I can only imagine. And,
0: <laughs> and so I was afraid that this would end up being a very short episode. Not the case whatsoever. No. There no. is so much I, to talk about. Early
1: on, I mentioned, oh, we could do... Um, we could, you know, just talk through it as it plays. What was it that we, we did that once with one other film? Um, we just did a commentary. The sure, on uh, the
0: Christmas Carol uh, yeah. silent film, we did that, yes.
1: Yeah, and, and I had said early on, well, we could do a commentary on it. And then, of course, it's turned out that it's it's so good. You just don't even, you don't need the commentary. Literally, Literally, that was narrated, and they didn't need the narration,
0: <laughs> right. did we do a commentary for safety last?
1: I feel like we did a I commentary think we did do it yes, yeah- mm-hmm.
0: think it'd be for safety last mm-hmm.
1: that would make sense,
0: yeah, no, this one I think we would um we'd sit down and try to do the commentary, and you'd we'd both fall the... silent <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but
1: probably you'd hear periodic ah, ha, 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 and then you'd hear yeah. me going. Oh.
0: You probably occasionally hear me just go, "Oh, that was so that that was good." Ooh,
1: yeah. Or you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't.
0: Oh, oh no. That's so awful. Oh no.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Anybody watching it would just be like, "These be one of the worst commentaries ever." Commentators.
0: <laughs> we would be um, for that for this film. We for would. This
1: one. I don't think you. It would be hard. I, I think the. The The perfect example is that the narration done by Douglas Fairbanks, who has a mellifluous voice, uh, I'm sorry, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., he's phenomenal to listen to, one of my favorite people to listen to. Oh my goodness, we'll, we'll talk about my favorite movies with Douglas Fairbanks Jr. another time. ha! <laughs> but um, it, he it, he's wonderful to listen to. He does the narration for this, and I was irritated by it. Because I I kind of wanted to say just shut up and let me let me watch this movie. Why are you still talking? Not because he's bad at it, but because it it detracts. It really yeah. detracts.
0: Well, like I said, it was my favorite version of the three of a Three Musketeers movie mm-hmm. until I watched the full silent version. Yeah, yes. And I, it, it literally I told I told Rebecca like of all the Three Musketeer movies I've seen. I think this is my favorite. I think
1: I need to clarify, too. I'm saying I really like the Richard Chamberlain one. It is not a Three Musketeers movie. The, the Richard Chamberlain one, at no point do the Three Musketeers show up, by the way. It is my favorite Iron Mask movie, mm-hmm. but this is the Three Musketeers movie to watch.
0: it really is to
1: clarify don't go watch the 77 version thinking yay another three musketeers you're going to be really disappointed they're not in it yeah this is the movie to watch for them all
0: right well I think I will put an end to this before we just continue to gush on it because we will Uh, Lydia thank you so much I'm so happy that this turned out to be such an enjoyable experience for both of us absolutely We'll be back in another month with another film. Until then, thank you very much for listening. I guess we'll just say goodbye. Bye. Or should we say hola
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. hola <laughs> i did not realize it's been an hour already that was fast